How many times have you thought that in order to achieve financial stability, you need to have millions in the bank? The reality is that this isn't the case. Today, women have many options to make financial decisions with confidence that lead to financial stability. But how do you even achieve this? That's what you're going to learn about in today's episode. You are listening to Her Dinero Matters, the podcast helping Latinas have increased confidence and control over their finances. My name is Jen Hemphill, and as an accredited financial counselor, my mission is to help you be more confident and simplify your finances so you can save more, get out of debt quicker, and build your wealth. Sometimes, or actually most of the time, the stress from a financial situation can cloud your mind, which makes it hard to evaluate things clearly. And I am confident that you can break the cycle of financial stress if you carefully observe where these patterns, where the stress comes from, and what your options are. For instance, you might have a skill or have the ability to create a product that could bring in additional income. And that's precisely what our guest today, Janelia Espinal, showcases, as well as other useful topics, because she is a wealth of information. She is from Brooklyn. She's got a ton of energy. She recently published a book that you're going to learn more about in this episode. And I'm telling you, if you haven't had your coffee at the end of this episode, you will feel like you drank your coffee. So let's get going and meet Janeli Espinal. Before we jump into today's content, keep your ears peeled for a unique reveal I'll be sharing midway through the show. It's something special just for you. I'm so thrilled to have you here and we're here for another reason, but I'm excited to talk about that. So welcome. Hi, thank you so much for having me. I'm so glad to be back and especially with this big announcement, which has been taking up a big part of my life. <laughs> of course. And that big announcement, we'll just go ahead and spill the beans. It's a book. It's a book. It's called Mind Your Money, which, you know, it's funny because I had started this podcast during the pandemic and it was a time where I was like alone and I wanted to connect with people. So I started talking to women about money and created a few podcast episodes with the title Mind Your Money. But those type those types of conversations really became more about our stories than anything. And I was like, you know, there's something there, like combining personal stories with personal finance. And that really led me to use that title Mind Your Money for my first book. I love it. I love it. And last time that you were here, by the way, you were here, it was episode 304 for those that want to check that episode out. We, of course, we got a little bit into your story. But one aspect of your story that we didn't get into is you being a DIY queen. Talk to us about that. What started that? And because you even do the threading of the eyebrows. I'm like, oh my gosh. Yes. <laughs> I've I've done that. I'm like, I don't think I could have done that. So tell us like what has been some of your most favorite and proud things that you have done DIY? Yeah. Okay. Well, the first one I have to say is that I'm proudest of is that I learned to sew because it's something that I think like when I look, look at the lineage of women in my family, like my abuela, she on my mom's side, she was a, a person who sewed so many 
of the things in the community in Dominican Republic where in her little village, like everybody would come to her to get like things fixed or for a little hem here or there. And then my mom picked up on that and started to sew. And she kind of became the seamstress, like in my community growing up in Brooklyn, like everybody would come to her with their quinceanera dresses, prom dresses, you know, all these things that for her to do. And then I grew up watching her sew, but I never like learned really uh, formally. And then as an adult, I'm like, you know, a lot of my girlfriends started asking me to be in their bridesmaid, to be a bridesmaid in their their wedding party or to invite me to all these different events. And I'm like, these dresses, like they're getting expensive. And in my 20s, I was real broke. So I just started thinking like, you know, could I like make a simple dress myself? So I bought a sewing machine for like $90 and I just started doing it on my own. I watched videos on YouTube. I even went and took one sewing class in, in my neighborhood. And then I would just ask my mom for tips and tricks here and there. And listen, I have made dresses for my sister's wedding uh, i made my my own dress and let me tell you people were coming up to me saying you have the best dress of the whole family like where did you buy your dress i'm like really <laughs> interesting because i made it in my sewing machine you know and so and that's that story actually got me featured on bbc news they put a, a one minute segment of me as the diy queen and they showed me sewing in my sewing machine at home that i was making curtains and little purses and dresses and at the time it was just a way for me to save money and stay busy so i wouldn't spend you know a lot of money going out but actually it became something that i has made me very proud because my grandma did it my mom did it and now i do it too so that's my favorite in terms of diy skills that i have but i do threading as well and i'm very artsy i have all the paintings in my apartment i painted myself, you know, things like that, that I just, I love to do. Learning more about you. I love it. And I love about the story about sewing because just, it brings me back to me, Abuelita, and that's how a single mom, that's how she raised her kids as a seamstress in, in Colombia. And that's how she made her money. And I wanted to learn and she actually started teaching me, but then I didn't have a sewing machine and then she passed. So I love that you you are able to to learn that. Yeah, because now being my husband being in the military each time he has to change a oh, patch. Yeah. I can't oh, I can't do it. We gotta both go pay for it. And listen and the uniform's very official, so you can't mess with the patches. You gotta do it right. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. So I'm not going to try to do that <laughs> and it fall off halfway through him doing something. Not cool. <laughs> now, you mentioned that it saves money. And, uh, and when we talk about anything DIY, it it does save money. But how did it change your finances? I'm curious. Yeah. You know, one of the first things I'll tell you is that it changed my mindset about the value of the things that I was spending money on. Because when I was like in my early 20s and even as a teenager, I could I would go and like to the mall and just look at things and shop around with no idea really of what does the labor, what it goes into, like the fabric and, and the work into making a, a piece of clothing, a garment, whether it's a shirt, a scarf, a, a purse, whatever, right? I never really thought about beyond just me buying it and wearing it, what goes into everything before it arrives to the store. And as I started to learn to sew, that has now been so top of mind to me that when I walk into stores and I look at things, I'm like, the quality of this shirt to be $37? Are you kidding me? Like, And so now it has really changed the way that I view when I'm shopping for things, what that real value of that item is, not just what it says on the price tag, but what type of fabric is it made from? Is it a high quality fabric? Is it a natural fiber? Or you know, what is the stitch work on it? it? Does it look like it's done like real quick here or there? Does it look like it's like real, you know, well done craftsmanship and or craftswomanship? And I look at that, those details now, I look at the buttons. I'm like, are these quality buttons? Are they cheap buttons? 
buttons. And that's only because I actually learned how to sew. So I've constructed a pattern and a, and a blouse and a dress from scratch. So those things are now like things that I'm thinking about, whereas as a typical shopper, well, you don't usually think about those things. So it's definitely changed the way that I shop because now I actually know how to construct clothing. And I'm like, mm, yeah, I wouldn't buy that anymore. I, I can tell, you know, how cheap it's made and that the materials being used are not quality materials. Right. And unfortunately, a lot of the things that are being sold out, whether clothing or anything, really, I just um, re recently I wanted to buy just some pieces of jewelry, like not really these high end pieces. Right. I just want to just some for a photo shoot. So just like some statement pieces, because I've been recycling the ones that I have for it's a very right. long time, just because I'm so picky. That's so and, real. and I'm so picky. And I like I like what I like. And that's all. And um in Peru, when we lived in Peru, they have, and no offense to los Mexicanos, I know Mexicanos, they have silver jewelry and some really nice pieces, but Peru, Dios mío, I love, and I love some jewelry from Peru, especially the silver, oh, but I haven't no. been back and I can't find anybody. And so I'm like, let me see what I can find. Yeah. And I went into the store and I was like, well, it looks like it could be decent. And then I went in there, they're like, well, do you want it to be long lasting Cute. or not? And I'm like, I looked at the non long lasting. I'm like, how are they selling these for 80 bucks? I mean, yeah. I would have paid maybe 20 bucks, That's you know, true. but yeah. So it's interesting that you bring that up because I'm right with you. Yeah. And it takes time because when on the younger side, like when you're in your teens and 20s, you just don't think about those types of things all the mm -hmm. time. And so unless you're interested in that particular area, you know, fashion or merchandising or product design. But if you're not in that area, you, you just don't think about those things and most people don't so i think that that has definitely changed my mindset and then it, it bleeds over to other things too like when i'm shopping for food i'm thinking about everywhere that that item was before it came to my supermarket like yeah. all to the farmer's market I'm, I'm just so much more conscious when i'm spending money about quality and is it really worth this dollar amount which i don't think happened before i actually started learning how to do some of these diy skills so that could be a good thing for you but i'm sure it could, it could be haunting at times i presume because if you're wanting to find something then and you're like and you know maybe it's not I know the best thing and you can't there's no other options I know and you but you know what I have done which I think is good it has forced me to become a little healthier because I've actually been making more things from scratch so I look mm. at the packaging I'm like what in the world everything has xanthan gum what is xanthan gum I don't do I want would I naturally put that in my pot and use it to cook food no so I've been so much more aware of like the ingredients on things like soap and deodorant and, and lotions and food items just reading the packaging real quick and I'm like I like that I've started to think this way because it just makes right. me a like a better consumer in general and makes me like a little more healthy because I've been cooking more myself, making things on my own, you know, making up bread from scratch instead of buying like a packaged bread and all of those little things it makes a little bit of your quality of life a little bit better and, and more enjoyable. Absolutely. Now, last time you were here, you talked to us about the advocacy work that you do bringing financial literacy to schools. What is the latest development? What and how has that been going? It's been amazing and it has changed so much since we last spoke. In the book, I actually mentioned that I was involved in the state of Florida passing a law that requires every high school student in Florida to be required to take personal finance before they graduate. Now, actually, in 2023, was involved in, in the state of Indiana passing a law in Indiana as well. So the work evolved because at first it was just general advocacy. Now, when it comes to politics, when you want the laws to change, 
generally speaking, you need somebody who's actually going to champion that law in the halls of power. Somebody who is really their job every day to go in there and put it top of mind for all the lawmakers because they have a lot of other bills. They got constantly people recommending and suggesting things that need to change. Right. And they don't, you know, they're not going to put everything as a priority. So you you need somebody walking through the halls who's, prior, who's putting it as a priority for everyone to remember and to know what's the bill about, what are the details, what does the research and the data show up about this, is this a good idea or not? And so that usually is gonna be, um, you know, public policy advocate, a lobbyist, that type of job, you they don't work for free. You have to hire right. a lobbyist or hire a public advocate. And these people, cobran mucho, they're expensive. So I realized like, you know, in the work that we're doing, even though we're advocating in the grassroots level, our team isn't gonna get as far if we don't have someone in the halls of power. So we, as a team, we had this conversation and decided, you know, working at NGPF has been amazing. We're giving free curriculum, free teacher training, all those amazing things that we talked about in our, um, in our initial conversation. But we need another component of the work, which is a separate organization that does allow us to have a person in the halls of power championing these bills. Now, because it's political and everything, you know, with money, it's complex because you can't use money as a nonprofit to go and, and lobby. You can't use money for a nonprofit to change laws. You can't. It's just it's not legal. So we had to create a completely separate entity, which is called the Mission 2030 Fund. It's a nonprofit, but it's a different entity. It's a 501c4 instead of a 501c3. That designation allows us, the uh, Mission 2030 Fund, to actually have a champion, to have a public policy advocate, a lobbyist, whose job it is to continue to push the bill that would make a, a law to require personal finance in high school for every student, that person is going constantly to the state house, is going constantly to the senators, to the chairs of the education committee, having meetings, you know, setting up phone calls for us, do all of these things that, you know, you really need somebody seriously there. Otherwise, your bill ends up just dying in the process, right? In the political process, like so many bills do every year, they, they're born and they die. And so in order to make sure your bill makes it to success, like Florida, like Indiana, like Michigan, like South Carolina, you really need somebody um, fighting for that bill. So as in the past two years or so, from 2021, 2022, we have actually been working in that capacity and having you know champions, being able to actually learn who, who's serious about this issue in this state that would want to actually take this bill bring it to the floor, we're gonna author this bill, make sure the language is correct, because the language is another thing, girl. Sometimes you find a bill and it says like, it is required for every school to include financial literacy in the school day. And people will say, oh, that's good. No, that's very general. Included in the school day? That could be like mentioning that you need a budget in the morning and then that's it, that's all they ever, that, oh, we included it in the school day, check, check that box. So we need to be very specific with these laws, with the language. So for us, we're very strict and we look for five things. One is that it says that it has to be 18 weeks of instruction or more. So that's a semester long class. Anything less than that doesn't cut it, right? The second thing is that it has to be at the right time when students are in the mindset to apply what they're learning. So that's junior and senior year. If they learn in freshman year, they can't even drive. They don't have their driver's license yet. Why are they learning about car insurance? Like they're not filing FAFSA. Why are they learning about student loans yet? So with teaching in junior and senior year is important. The third one is the teachers. Are they going to be trained? How are they going to be trained? What resources are they going to have to make sure that they know the content with confidence so that they can teach it with confidence? Because the worst thing is a class where the teacher doesn't really know what they're talking about. And yet it's their job to teach about it. So that's the third thing. 
The fourth thing is local control, which is huge in education. When you have the government is trying to make changes, the federal government can't just say every state in America has to teach financial literacy. That's not the federal government's place because education is a local issue. So we actually have to go state by state by state by state. And there have to be 50 individual laws passed in every one of the 50 states that says in this state, we have financial literacy as a semester course. So in order to keep that local control, the law has to be very clear about who makes the decision of what curriculum is going to be used, what are the specific topics that are going to be covered, because there's a lot of financial topics that you could cover, which ones will be picked. That decision is left locally. So the state doesn't get to decide that. We prefer for the school districts and the teachers and administrators to be able to make those choices. And then finally, the last thing is the timeline. Because I'll tell you, I used to be a teacher. The worst thing in the world is I'm getting ready to start the school year and my principal comes in telling me, oh, by the way, there's a change. All of a sudden, starting next week, you have to start teaching financial literacy. Like, wait, what? Starting next week? You're giving me no time to plan, to create the lessons, to prep the activities, to look at different curriculum and pick the best one. How am I supposed to do this in a week? So we really want the timeline to give them a few years, whether that's two years or three years to transition into this requirement rather than like springing it up on them one day to the next. Right. That is fantastic. And I love love hearing that update. Love the changes that you all made with that new organization that you're able to be, you know, be able to advocate uh, more efficiently, <laughs> I should say. Yeah. And so thank you for sharing with us uh, about that. And speaking of teaching, let's get back to your book. I want to talk about your book because one thing that I was really impressed with your book, again, for those listening, is called Mind Your Money. One, your personality comes out. So <laughs> you, if when you're hearing her right now and in the other episode, episode that she's been on, you're going to see it. You're going to read it. It's going to be like, oh, yeah, that's that is her. <laughs> and the other thing that I really appreciate about the book is that I think you having the skill set of a teacher, it gives you an up from others that are teaching financial education because you are able to really communicate it more effectively and, and just so I applaud you because I think you've done a phenomenal job of your book. I'm curious to know what can readers expect yeah. from your book? Yeah, I mean, it's a lot of what you said. It's personal stories. It's kind of like part memoir, part financial literacy education book. And I think the reason why I wanted to build it that way was because a little bit of what I mentioned earlier, where like having podcast conversations and, and being on social media with so many incredible women like yourself and so many others like us, women of color, especially our stories just keep coming to the surface. You know, our, especially if we have immigrant parents, if we're first generation, if we came from a low income, humble beginnings, our stories, they always come to the top and they help us kind of like, you know, resonate with everybody listening and paying attention. So I was like, I feel like stories are really missing from so many of the books that I've read. And when, and I've read hundreds, I mean, probably like 300 books about money since my 20th birthday to now I've like spent so much of my time reading books about money, personal development, mindset, psychology. And what I find is a lot of these authors either didn't have the experiences that, that I had and that I feel like a lot of the followers that I have and supporters actually have had those experiences, like being on government assistance, having parents who don't speak English and are navigating an entirely new world, country, system, language, financial system. So I was like, you know, I really feel like we have these stories and they're not being put into the narrative around money. And yet they're so pervasive in terms of 
how they impact our decisions with money and how they influence our, our mindset around money. So I just felt like the stories needed to take center stage. And so what you can expect, you know, as soon as you open the book, Loud and Proud is all of my background of growing up in poverty. The very first page, you're going to see me screaming in my mom's backyard about being on welfare and how that you know, was something that I never really understood what it meant for us because I was a kid, you know, and I, I just knew like mommy had welfare appointments to, you know, get food stamps and things like that. But my older sisters who were like teenagers at the time, they were the ones that taught me these, these narratives that like, shh, you know, don't, you know, don't talk about this. Don't tell people that we have, that we get food stamps and that we have welfare and that, that, that we don't make a lot of money. Like that's something to be ashamed of. We keep it quiet. We're, we're embarrassed to, to let anybody know about that. I didn't feel those things. I was just like, whatever, you know, everybody does this in my neighborhood. I thought it was like totally fine. But when I started to inherit those ideas from them that like, this is embarrassing. Those are the earliest memories that I feel like I could root my, the earliest lessons I learned about money were in those experiences. And so I wanted to make sure I grounded the book on that and more stories like that. Um, and so I get really personal. I mean, I tell you about when I got caught stealing, <laughs> when, my, when I was in the store stealing, I was like, I don't know, like maybe 11 or 12 years old. And my sister was with me and she got so mad at me because I put like a, a lip gloss, I took it and I put it like in my sleeve and I tried to walk out the store and pretend like everything was normal. And the security guard stopped us. He, he took us to the back and he showed the video of me putting the lip gloss in my sleeve. I was right under the camera, like, a, like a, hello, I'll make it more obvious, you know? But I, again, at that time, like, I didn't understand a lot of things around about me and around about the world around me. And I wanted to explain that story with context because I think we often assume somebody stealing, especially a kid, is like a little thief or, you know, bad intentions, a little selfish, maybe, you know, just like a malicioso, like a malicious type of nature. And I didn't want, I wanted people to understand that I wasn't a bad kid. Like I just, we were poor. So at first of all, I couldn't, I didn't have more than like $4 on me. Second of all was I was trying to be giving. Like I, we had a Kris Kringle at the church and I was supposed to give a gift to my God sister. I didn't have, so I'm like in this situation as a kid with no money, wanting to be giving, wanting to participate in these things. And that made me decide to take something that I couldn't afford. So I feel like I just wanted to include that. So we're not, especially cause I work with so many students and we're always like jumping to conclusions like, oh, this is this is the type of person that you are. And I wanted students reading my book, especially in high school and college to recognize that you are not your mistakes. We all have lived a life. OK, so let me just tell you, like you see me now on the news and writing a book and succeeding on social media. But my stories are probably very similar to yours. So there's really nothing different. And don't ever let anybody make you feel like your mistakes make you who you are. They they don't, they can inform and change what you do and how you act, but your character is really what, you know, what makes you who you are. And so I wanted to include that. So there's a lot of personal elements, personal stories and little life lessons, as well as like the financial lessons in there too. You mentioned students reading your book. Who would you say it, this book is for? Students, the younger generation, or how would you define your ideal reader? I think it's like right on the cusp between Gen Z and millennial, which I, I think like people okay. call like zillennials, right? Like it's like a Gen Z slash like millennial age, but also the, the key for me, which is like a blanket term that I've been seeing a lot, but I think is like the right term for my art audience is a first generation wealth builder. 
This is the first person in the family that has maybe access to a more than a, a moderate level income, um, a maybe higher or middle level income. And the first person in the family that has the ability, the privilege, you know, to actually think about investing for the future, not just trying to make it day by day today. So don't, that type of person who is like, this is such a big thing. I never, my parents never had a chance to invest. And here I am learning about investing. It feels scary. It feels like a big thing on your shoulders. But with the book and with learning that there's so many other stories like yours and like mine, you don't feel so alone. It doesn't have to feel so scary and like such a big plight and weight on your shoulders. It can actually feel like inspiring and motivational for you to take on that challenge and to also become the first of many to follow you after you. So thinking about that legacy that you would leave behind if you do figure it all out and put things in place financially for yourself and your family. Love it. And what would you say is your the biggest hope that you have for this book where you will know when you hear it, read it, what, how, in whatever shape, form it comes that you say mission accomplished. This, yes. I, I made it. This is good. Like, I love that question. This is what I read. This is why I wrote it. Yeah. So I, for me, it's like a little ripple effect around the book. So like, or, or like around the readers of the book. So, you know, when you throw like a little piedra, you throw a rock in the water or like in a river, you see the little ripples around it. I would love for my book to be that, that like rock, right? Where you throw the book into someone's life. And now all of a sudden there are these ripples around around them. They have helped their parents to establish some type of savings fund or retirement fund. They have helped their children to get started investing in a custodial Roth IRA or created a high yield savings account. They're now teaching their friends, you know, maybe they planned a Sunday brunch with all their girlfriends and they're teaching their girlfriends about how to find low expense ratio mutual funds in their, in their 401k plans. These types of things that come from the book, but really it's, it's, not, I don't want people to think of it as a self-help book. I want people to think of it as a help others book. You take it and you see like, wow, this is so impactful. I'm going to apply it in my life, but I'm going to make sure I help others too. So that it's kind of like that rock dropping in and creating this ripple effect for so many others in our community, because we have Latinos have such a, we have a huge growing community in this country and around the world. So how could we be selfish with this? We have to share it and make sure it goes all throughout the community. And I know you mentioned you have a lot of stories we've done there. Are there any I want behind the scenes? Let's talk about behind the scenes. Are there any stories that you're like, maybe you talk to your editor, why did you take this one out? Why aren't we living, leaving this one in? Or were you able to get all your the most important stories out there? Well, there were so many stories. It was actually hard for me to even decide when I was putting together the manuscript, like how are we going to decide which ones we're going to narrow it down to? Because if it was up to me, the book could have been two books, one of all the stories and one of all the money lessons. Like, I mean, there were definitely a lot. I think for me, I'm going to be completely honest. I grew up in a household where it, it was very complex. My parents are from a different era, you know, in, in a generation, a different generation, but also a different country where unfortunately violence was just like a kind of a more normal part of the, of their growing up um, violence. And I don't mean that in terms of like only domestic abuse, I'm sure verbal abuse, domestic abuse. Yes. But also like they had a, a relationship with their food that was very different from us. Like they were, they, they would go outside and kill a chicken if they wanted to make chicken soup, you know? So just being very with your hands. I've like, plucked those uh, feathers yes, myself yes. in there. Imagine <laughs> doing that like every day. And so like, I think my parents are just like the rougher people because they've had to, you know, kill animals in order to cook them and eat them. And they've had to like they grew up like being 
you know, hit if they didn't do their chores the right way and things like that. And they didn't know any better. I mean, this is just how they grew up. So my childhood, but there's nine of us, nine siblings, my parents kind of used some of those tactics early on with the older generations, you know, me and some of my older siblings, like if we didn't get good grades, like we would get yelled at, we'd get hit. You know, there, there were certain things that my parents were like, this is how I was raised. So this is what I'm going to do with my kids, you know? And I think as they became more Americanized, as they learned that like, hey, you know, you can't hit your kids, like the school principal is going to have a talk with you if they keep seeing you hitting your kids. Like, they, my mom started to pick up on that, like, oh, maybe, you know, this isn't the, the, the best way or the right way. And so the younger generations, she stopped being so, you know, physical and, and, and using hitting as a way to discipline them. And I think that there was a shift there because with the younger generations, there wasn't, she didn't know what else to do if she wasn't going to hit. She wasn't going to hit you. She didn't know how to discipline, what to tell you, what to do. Mm -hmm. So I think the younger generations in my family, it was a little bit more like, uh, like, like free for all. Like they got, they pretty much got to do whatever they want because mommy wasn't hitting them, but she also didn't know how else to discipline them. So they didn't really get discipline. And so it's an interesting dynamic with the older siblings who did get hit and had a lot of strict rules versus my younger brothers who they kind of, you know, they, like the three of them, they didn't, they decided that they didn't want to go to college. And that's interesting because everybody, me and all of my older siblings, we, in, my, in our minds, it was no choice. Hey, you go to college. Mm. My parents, mm -hmm. like, we didn't go to school. You're going to school. That's why we're in America, to give you this opportunity. So, I, right. you know, we all went to school and academics was a huge part of our lives. The first six born. The last three born, uh, you know, I don't think I want to do college. Like, I think I'm going to do something more creative, you know, maybe rap, maybe trade stocks, maybe go, you know, do some art, do whatever I want. And the youngest actually recently joined the army, which I'm so extremely proud of him because, ooh, I, I mean, I was talking to him when he turned blue and so he was in, he's in the infantry and he was telling me that every day, his mind was trying to tell him, just quit, just quit. You know, you don't have to be here. You don't have to do this. Just go home. It's going to be much easier for you. And he didn't quit. He stayed and he is, you know, now actually um, active. So I'm very proud of him for that because it shows that his mind is is strong, his mindset. He was able to really overcome that. And that's very different from academics, right? But that's fine because he made a choice and he committed to it. But I think that there was this gap and this shift where there were, there were certain stories that I kind of chose to leave out because I didn't mm -hmm. want, I, I don't, I want to be sensitive to the fact that there's a lot of layers and complexity to our family story, that it's not about the violence. I'm not trying to say mommy should have hit the boys. Maybe they would have went to college or maybe they would have done something different. But there was something that happened with my parents not disciplining, not knowing really what to do if they couldn't hit that, just left the younger siblings like to try to figure things out on their own without a lot of guidance, without a lot of rules, without a lot of structure. And I was the last of the siblings to grow up in that highly structured, a lot of rules environment. So I I didn't want to be judgmental. I didn't want to hurt them. I wanted to be sensitive about how I presented our stories from our family. So anything that was kind of related to that dynamic, I just Got it. not to include it. Well, I appreciate you sharing here because it also goes to the point, this is what your parents knew. Right. And they, you know, the American culture is different. And there is a lot, you mentioned layers. And then like you mentioned layers, I think, in terms to your family. But there's a lot of layers to filter through in just adapting and learning just the American culture. Shoot, That's you right. know, however many years I've been in this country and I'm still sometimes like trying to figure hey. some, some things out. Uh, so it, it just it takes a while and it, it takes a shift in 
your mind and and especially when you're it's ingrained and this is all you know that's hard oh definitely. that's hard definitely uh, so i just i really appreciate you sharing that mm-hmm. now you also mentioned uh, when you when i was talking to you about who this book is for and you mentioned the term first gen uh, wealth builders yes. and i want to talk about that a little bit because you also mentioned in the book that you share how your parents aren't prepared for retirement right that they did the best w- with what they knew yes. and and that's respectable right and so for the person who is listening right now who maybe relates to this and maybe they're feeling stressed right because they're that first gen to maybe go to college maybe they're also the first gen that are invest is investing right. but they're also feeling their grant of okay i want to buy a house i have student loans to pay off i have these things but also my parents are relying on me right. what are some encouraging things that you could share with that person that is in that similar boat Yes. First of all, I love this question because I think a lot of people are in that boat. Mm-hmm. Um, so what I would say is I did not uh, write my book one day to the next, right? My book took a long time to write, years. But also learning the the content in my book did not happen overnight. It took years for me to learn all those things that I'm now able to share. So I want the point here is like it's, it takes years. This is a process. So I don't want you to think, oh, my gosh, I'm so overwhelmed because I have to be able to help them save, budget, invest. I have to think about retirement. I have to think about taxes. I have to think about insurance. I have to think about estate planning. Like if you think of it that way as all these things that are on a long list of you that you need to do, 100 percent, you're going to get immediately overwhelmed. And you're probably not going to even take action because you feel like there's no way any action could help you get it all done. So don't think of it like that at all. Just think of it as like, just get started today with one step. Pick one of the things that you really want to start becoming a master at. One thing. If that's retirement investing, great. That Pick that. And in the next few weeks, I'm going to learn everything that I can about retirement investing. But today, all I'm going to do is start. I'm going to start. Maybe I'm going to watch a video about the different types of retirement accounts that exist and just take some notes and just start learning about the types of retirement accounts that exist. That's it. I don't even have to open an account yet. I just need to start learning. To me, that is much more likely to put you on a path to success because you're breaking it down, chunking it up into parts that you want to tackle one at a time. You're accepting the fact that it's not all going to happen right away. It's going to be a multi-step process that's probably going to take years. And also you are getting started. You're taking one action today, whether that's learning, opening an account, reading, watching a video, whatever it is, you're committing to starting. And then the next day, you just get started again. You you start again every day, start again. Okay, yesterday I learned about these types of retirement accounts. Today I want to learn about how do you open one of them and where can you open one? Great, let me start looking at that. There's more tools today than ever before. So starting is not hard. It's the decision to start that is hard. So I would chunk it up and commit to doing one thing a day until you really feel good at one aspect of this. And then you can move on to the next part and build on little by little. I love it. That's why we get along. It's about one thing. Starting a little, starting small. It doesn't matter. (laughs) Something is better than nothing. Exactly. exactly. Something is definitely better than nothing. Everything is better than nothing. Absolutely. Well, this has been fantastic. I want to applaud you once again for the book. I feel like it's been so well done. And for a person that likes to read, but it takes forever to read because I get easily distracted. This is the type of book that is an easy read because it's so engaging. So I really applaud you for that. And thank you for writing it. 
<laughs> thank you for writing it because we need more voices like you. So yeah. thank you. Thank you for joining us. I applaud you. Congratulations. Thank and you. thank you for being with us today. Thank you again. <laughs> and honestly, like this is if, you, if there's somebody listening who has a book in their heart and they're just nervous, do it because it's, it takes vulnerability. I was extremely vulnerable. I'll tell you, it was very hard. I was second guessing myself. I was thinking about how am I going to show my personality, but also establish myself as an well-educated person. I don't want to be too silly. I want to be taken seriously, but I, you know, there, there's things that I want to say, but maybe it just, like, it doesn't matter. Just it, same thing that we just mentioned, just get started. And for me, you know, I, I think writing it was actually like a therapeutic experience mm. going through all the things that I've been through and just feeling proud of myself. I even cried. I mean, there were things that I'm like, oh my God, I haven't thought about that in so long. And that happened to me, you know? So I would recommend doing it, even if you choose to publish it or not, writing these things can be so cathartic. And I think so helpful for us as we go through like our money journeys. So thank you. I appreciate that you mentioned that because I think it, it was a tough process for me, but I am proud that I did it. And thank you, Jen, for even just for having me, for sharing my story and helping me push out the book. Oh, I really of course. It. Of course. Thank you. In today's conversation with Janelli, we dive into her inspiring journey. She capitalized on her DIY talents to earn money. And along the way, she had some setbacks, but she did some work, took some action that really significantly transformed her financial situation. We also touched on the challenges faced by the first generation of wealth builders. And contrary to common perceptions, embarking on this journey doesn't have to be filled with fear and stress. Additionally, we highlighted the invaluable advice for those grappling with financial distress while simultaneously shouldering their family's financial responsibilities. Y eso es común en nuestra comunidad, ¿verdad? And we emphasize that there are proactive measures one can adopt to navigate this dual responsibility with confidence. It's not easy, but it can be possible. In addition, we shared advice for those feeling financial stress while managing their finances and at the same time, their family's finances in a more confident way. Remember that to make a positive change in your finances, the first thing and that's something that is key that you need to do is to evaluate what led you to this moment. Educate yourself on the topic and take action. One small step. It doesn't have to be a huge step. Just one small step, and then you take another small step, and you just continue to make those small steps. If anything from today's conversation, which I'm sure it did, because Yaneli is fantastic, if it resonated with you, if you loved everything that Yaneli had to say, connect with Yaneli over at Miss behelpful.com. Besides connecting with her on her website and her social media channels, because she does a phenomenal job of content, it's entertaining, and it's got a lot of financial goodness. Make sure to check out her book, Mind Your Money. I'm going to link that up in today's show notes. And it's really a phenomenal book. It's very, and here's the thing, I'm going to be very honest with you. Very few books catch my attention in the sense of I can get through the whole thing. 
or it will take me a while to get through the whole thing. It doesn't captivate my attention like that. And even though I know what's in there is good, it's hard for me to get through. This book is not like that. Yanelli has done a really phenomenal job of storytelling. And that storytelling, it was captivates me. And I'm sure will captivate you. Plus, her personality that you he- heard today <laughs> is all in that book. It is all in that book. You'll hear that. You will feel that. You will feel like you're just sitting there talking to her. So definitely check that out. Again, that will be linked up in today's show notes. And I really want to know what impacted you the most from this conversation. Join us in the private community. You can find the link in the show notes and let me know what was your biggest takeaway from today's conversation. I also want to celebrate Waleska Houston, who is a listener just like you, as she shared with us a recent money win where she paid off and... She cut up her credit card because she is aware of her habits. So she intentionally cut up her credit cards because she knows if not, it may be a danger zone for her. So congratulations, Waleska, on paying yet another credit card and on really observing and really knowing and being real with yourself that maybe cutting that credit card is the best thing for you. So way to go. I celebrate you. And I am so happy that you accomplished this. Keep going. <laughs>